She thumps a cane and drinks champagne Just formidable and judgmental But we can guarantee That she's a quintessential Lady D But recognizes great potential What would Danbury do? Welcome to What Would Danbury Do? Your guide to Julia Quinn's Bridgerton series from A to V. This episode, we continue our epilogue reading with our favourite mother of corgis, Kate, and consummate boob man, Anthony. Once again, they're facing off in a vicious game of Pal Mal. So grab your favourite mallet and prepare for some truly unsporting behaviour. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Join the conversation using the hashtag WWDDPod. I was going to say favorite rock movie, but look, I might just lean in and go all the way with like one of my favorite movies, Rampage, which is just... Is this the... one of the like big creature things? Is this a big Animal? crocodile? No. There is in fact a giant alligator. Oh, but... my apologies. <laughs> I actually do care about the difference between a crocodile and an alligator. I don't know why I'm acting like I don't. But because I was in New Orleans on a baby tour and they were like, these gators are big. And I'm like, and they're looking at me like, you you don't look very impressed. I'm like, they're bigger. Like crocodiles are bigger in Australia. (laughs) And they all just like, like, shut your face. (laughs) (laughs) I went on one of those bayou tours as well and... The guy was like, who wants to pat? And I was a bit too, um, it's not that I was enthusiastic because I didn't really think that it was going to happen, but I also wasn't opposed to like getting up close with like this massive gator. And it was that, that was the point at which the guy was like, I'm going to stop making this joke because <laughs> <laughs> clearly... <laughs> If you give that girl half a chance, <laughs> I just love them. Look, I was a menace on my Gator Lake Bayou tour because I also um, they they threw marshmallows in the water to attract them. Because marshmallows float, so that means that like first it creates oh. a ripple, so the gators know that there's something, and it's white, and I think like stands out really well, and also. It's small and it's cheap and all, like, for a variety of reasons, they it use marshmallows. It sounds like Captain Nick on my tour did a shit job of explaining why marshmallows were used. I asked like, the a lot. Them. <laughs> I asked a lot of questions, including, are you sure that's good for them, though? And like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a valid question. <laughs> he looked at me and then he, he, to- he, he told me. He told me they were sugar free and I was like, I think, (laughs) I go to him, I think you're giving the gators diabetes and (laughs) and just like, I had a, oh. Now I'm sad I didn't go on the gator tour with you. It would have been worth it. Hi, I'm Adele. Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Rudy. Um, I've super prepared for tonight. And so I hope we get to my talking points and I don't distract myself. Before I okay. start to take over um, and direct everything into like the spaces that I want to be talking, um, what did you guys think of this one? I Look, still in the 
these did not need to be written. But I thought it was fun. I liked the fighting and the siblings and the... I thought it was a bit ridiculous that they had made it a yearly tradition that they all had to go back there for that like particular Palmel game. But, you know, had some Colin, had some Kate, had them like bribing all of their servants so that their servants may actually be able to come out of servitude. So that was nice too, you know? I was actively annoyed. So was I. Why? What is wrong with you? Why do you guys not like Joy? This wasn't Joy. It's not. I found it manic. I felt quite, oh, it just was a lot. It was like a lot coming at me, Kate, and I didn't need it. I didn't need it. I agree. Like, I feel like this was all of the worst parts about Kate and Anthony's relationship and in particular their courtship. All of the worst parts of it amplified and served to you with nothing else as a buffer. So it actually... And that's the, it is, it, it's extreme fan service and it just didn't leave a nice taste in my mouth. See, I think that's the difference between me and the both of you in that I am super happy to be served to as a fan. Love fan service. Live for it. Terminator 3, the movie everybody hates because it's 100% <laughs> fan service. I adore. I think it's great. I love the no, 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 All right. Counterpoint. Rebel Wilson in, in Pitch Perfect 2. There is too much of her. They need to scale some Rebel Wilson back. Like a small amount is good. Too much is cringy. Done. Yeah, I agreed. Um, particularly because for me, I, maybe because we're Australian, like Rebel Wilson wasn't the revelation that she was to the rest of the world. So that wasn't serving me as a fan. That but Amy doesn't need a sub and neither does Pow Mal. <laughs> Did I say that right? Pow Mal. Yeah, yeah Pow Mal. service, good. Fat Amy fan service, bad. That's where my fan service line is. Terminator 3 and Paul Mall games are up here. And then Fat Amy subplot lines are down here. It's a spectrum of fan service. Spectrum of shit. Oh. See, I, I think, think you're just not to like lean into being served. And that's all. This almost undid my happy ending for like for the Viscount who loved me. Like this almost ruined it as because mm. I kept I kept reading it being like and maybe maybe this is because I come into romance like expecting a certain thing. Or I came into this book expecting a certain thing. And it's that like, you know in those antagonist romances or like hate to love romances where like by the end they've kind of they've kind of balanced each other out because they've met halfway. Like each of them have given a little bit of ground. They've met halfway. And so they're kind of, they're different people. This was like yeah. them going back to, like they are 15 years into their marriage and they've gone back to being like, yeah, not just regressed. the same people, yeah. but like regressed. And it, it just, it was it's so antagonistic. Nope, this is this is yeah. the thing. This is the reason why. 15 years of marriage. 
It's exactly why they're playing this game. Because they have been married for 15 years. They're bored. They're and bored. Well, look, they're not necessarily bored, but let's face it, after 15 years, like the spark dims for every relationship and they love competing with each other. And I'm going to get bet that at the end of this epilogue, they go back to the bedroom and have the best sex that they have all year because of this Pall Mall game. I have never felt so, so young sad. and naive as having you tell me that this is, <laughs> this is what 15 years of marriage looks like. I'm just saying you look, you go looking for the spark and when you find something that works, you lean into it. I always think of myself as like super pragmatic about relationships and the way that they like continue. And, you know, cause like my, my parents have been together for decades and, you know, and I've grown up around like a lot of couples actually that have been together for, for years. So I've had it modeled in real life and and I know about like the sniping and the griping and the like getting on each other's nerves. I know that that's what happens, but somehow <laughs> I've somehow I have fallen into the trap of being like, but not in my books, please. <laughs> well, you never see it in romance novels. That's the problem because the, the novel always ends before they fall into comfortable patterns or before they like start looking for thing like nostalgic mm. things that will bring them back to that part of the relationship and also because when you do see like when you do see like your old fave couples in a book it's like it's a cameo so it's like their best version of themselves or a surface version of them so it's are they like, in public yeah so okay maybe i have to rethink this but you do i'm sorry i still don't have to like it though uh, uh, well i refuse to because it just going and going and going and I just got more and more annoyed it's like <laughs> Anthony's a boob man check ultra competitiveness check I'm like Jesus like, I'm like I mean uh, yeah I, I... so you've half you've half cracked open the door that I wanted to walk through so I'm gonna take this moment I'm gonna fucking run <laughs> ready when we first talked about the Viscount who loved me Kate you mentioned like you labeled Anthony a boob man and in all of my reads I had not really noticed that but there is no way of avoiding it in this it is very front and center but then I was listening to a kind of old now episode of Womance podcast in ep 77 Morgan has this theory about boobs versus, like, boob men versus butt men mm. being, like, really some kind of, like, metaphor for whether you have a life or a death imperative. You can critique it as much as you want because Isabel sure as fuck did. But oh her, her basis was give you life and you boobs excrete life. Shit. And, yes, really I think that. Anthony should actually be a butt man because he's death centric. Unless we just, unless we say that the reason, like he was always life imperative all along and he just didn't know how to like engage properly. But then I also started thinking about his absolute obsession with the death, like with the mallet of death. And I was like, 
No, I'm right. He always should have been a butt man. Anyway, discuss. <laughs> I'm really worried because my husband is an ass guy and now I'm deeply concerned. I don't think it's a negative thing necessarily. Like it's not a, mm. it's not like, you know how like some people like, some people are savers and some people are spenders. Like I think that's like, it's not, it's, it's just how you approach life. Like are you, are you thinking about like, are you cautious or are you like, like caution to the mm. wind? Like, I think that is kind of the dichotomy that comes like that Morgan was trying to explain. And I'm, I, <laughs> there's a part of me that really hopes she never is listens like, to this because I might've completely butchered it. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm actually, I'm very interested in this. I'm very intrigued. I'm especially intrigued with the whole, Anthony thinking that he was a death guy when it turns out he's actually a life guy, as is evidenced by his obsession with boobs. So this is the this is the note that I apparently wrote while reading the book. But also, is there obsessive fighting over the mallet of death a metaphor for a couple negotiating anal sex? Wow. <laughs> Well, you think they would have negotiated that a long time ago. I mean, you could you could lean into that because if you look at the ass being a death imperative or at least not a life imperative because anal sex is never going to lead to new life, right? Exactly. Huh. I feel like from now on, going forward, we have to evaluate every single one of the Bridgerton men to determine whether they have a life and or death imperative. You push the door open, yep. and now it can't be shut. Kicked it open. <laughs> yeah. Ready to talk about boobs and butts. <laughs> Just, anyway, um, uh... Look, okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I did think while I was reading all about this uh, black mallet of death was there was a certain level of fetishization of it, and I did briefly wonder if the black mallet of death had ever found its way into the bedroom that's why i wondered I whether it was like some that's why my brain went to is this them negotiating anal sex mm. again to... married for 15 years whatever it takes to well that actually and that that was also part of my thinking i was like let's pretend for a second that like that no Victorian couple was ever like kinky straight off the bat. Like let's pretend that they were actually super straight laced um, all the time and forever. 15 years with the same person where like you're fairly open sexually. Like surely it's a conversation that could be had even if it's coded in an argument about a mallet of death mm. slash butt imperatives. <laughs> and also, let's be honest, Anthony does act like he has something up his ass a lot of the time. Well, oh, I, we, oh. I was going to ask, are we, are, are we just not entertaining the idea that potentially it was like, it was pegging? Look, I hadn't up until this very point, but now, you know, look, I'm, yeah. Because when I, when I said like, negotiate like it's I solidly meant negotiating like I didn't 
necessarily mean that it would be Kate receiving. I mean, it could be both, really. It really could be. You know, they could be negotiating whose turn it was. Exactly. Mm. But yeah, it was very, because it was very much like, oh, it's... (laughs) It only gets gross when you think about people handle that every year. That's like different family members. And I don't think like, it's the actual mallet. It's a metaphor. It's not the actual. It's why it was so important to be the one who had possession of it. And why oh, it was I so. Went, I went straight literal. Yeah. I, I Look, I'm leading into literal as well. I think that's a little bit too wild for, for those two. I mean, 15 years, maybe in like 20 years, maybe then we can get literal. If she does the third epilogues, it's totally a pegging scene with the black mallet. <laughs> Julia Quinn, call me. Does, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to have an academic discussion about imperatives <laughs> and butt sex, and you got to go there. <laughs> Dollars to donuts, there's fake out there about it. If there's not, there will be You're no tomorrow. <laughs> Adele, do you want to talk through, like, briefly what this Palmal game actually was? So the Palmal game is what Quinn refers to in the preface to this um, epilogue as the thing that she received the most fan feedback about and it's this very farcical game in the grounds of their uh, country ancestral home and it's something that the Bridgerton children have played for many 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 years and are known to be horrifically competitive to the degree of purposely probably injuring each other Um, and it's when Kate and Anthony Fell in love, I guess they say in the epilogue. I don't know if I agree you, with that statement, though. I was going to say, you sound so, like, unenthusiastic as you explain all this. It's like I was thinking, it. Rudy, you put me on the spot. Oh, sorry. Okay. You put me on the spot. I was trying to sound, like, cover all the bases. You could basically hear me ticking off things. Uh, I don't think they fell in love, but I think they definitely got under each other's skin at the Palm Mall game. This second epilogue tries to tell us that it is where they both fell in love with each other i was like that's we she does love some retconning Mm. (laughs) that's Mm. very true i mean they definitely it's definitely when their foreplay started yeah this game like this is kind of a, a restaging of the game that we see in the viscount who loved me it's all the same players there is like um but this time penelope is there as a spectator only because of course we can't actually even though we are actually seeing a brand new game we can't actually like change anything about the initial game even right down to the fact that like Kate was losing and then she decided to give up on being a loser and start winning by being disruptive (laughs) and like actually just ruining Anthony's chance to win we also, Which I did love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we also still had like the same setup of like an impossible course that they have to navigate through. Kate's sister is there again. Like it just, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what you get. 
the addition that they're doing it is so lovely because she just doesn't give a shit. She's not competitive. She's quite touched that they gave her blue, which is because they can't be bothered fighting over the blue because it's not <laughs> worth the effort. And it's all just so quaint and lovely and so Edwina. <laughs> I think it's lovely. And that the fact that Edwina is still there, I think, is a nice, like, tip of the hat to the fact that she was initially who, like, Anthony was going for. So, um, yeah, I just love that. I thought it was really – and, like, Edwina's just such a sweetheart. I kind of felt like she was a little bit passive-aggressive, like, Lou, how lovely, as in, I don't want to be here. Please explain <laughs> well, to me I why I'm here. I love that even more passive-aggressive. I love a good passag. Like, just a little mild, like, I don't want to be here. I just am going to not say anything about anything. Shall we do our What the Featheringtons? Yes. You go first. Is that because you haven't thought of one yet? (laughs) No, I just, I feel like I'm the only one who enjoyed this, so... (laughs) Okay, no. Why what the Featherington is valid or has any weight? Because I was like, you know what? Positive. This was fun. (laughs) That's okay. Mine is mild. Mine is mine is a very mild what the Featherington. Um why is Gregory and Hyacinth not invited? I know why they weren't there originally, because they were at school, or actually Hyacinth wasn't at school, she just was too young. But like it just like it's all, and Benedict's not there. There's a lot of there's there's several Bridgerton siblings missing from a house party that presumably they're all at. Well, I think it, that actually ties in closely to my what the Featherington, which is like somewhere near the very beginning. They're like, we repeat this game every year with exactly the same players, and I'm like. It wasn't that important a game to begin with. Like, why on earth is it so important that it's an annual tradition that only the people that were there the first time round can play? And it has to be exactly the same as people the who were there. Wanted it. Yeah, that felt, I mean, do we remember me and my spectrum of fan service and like, I'm way over here in the love it category. But like that, I was like, oh, for heaven's sakes. I think because like I would have, I would have like- liked it more like if the players weren't like the exact same every year, maybe, maybe if we just happened to have the same players this particular year that we're checking in mm. after 15 years, but maybe in like, you know, the last, like, like maybe in other years there have been other people playing and like other spouses are allowed to play. And do they only like- play one Pal Mal game? her house party like Edwina doesn't want to be there she just wants to go and read books in her library just like let her go it doesn't have to be the same people every year like it wasn't a big enough deal to make it a a yearly event that struck me like it was it was a very like random game like Simon played for the first time that year and so did like and so did Kate and so did Mm. Edwina like the brand new players and then, yeah. But Edwina ran as hard as she could from the Bridgerton, so I feel like she shouldn't keep getting dragged back. Like, I could totally, I can 100% see Violet being like, no, you guys get one Pall Mall game per house party, and that is it, because I don't like you all coming back 
bruised and bloody and you need to get it out of your systems and then we play nice happy families but like having this annual like thing where everybody has to traipse back to wherever Bridgerton house is it was yeah I'm like oh yeah free Edwina damn it (laughs) (laughs) well I have two what the Featheringtons at one point Penelope lovingly warns Anthony, warns him about tripping on a tree root. He yells at her, tells her to shut up, and then says to Colin, like, you should basically muzzle her. And I'm like, you're a dick, Anthony. (laughs) You're a dick. So, yeah, there's that. And also the fact that Anthony paid his son to give his wife the role of first witch. I didn't read that as having paid him to do that. I read it as the son did that and then Anthony rewarded him for the decision afterwards. Oh, okay. That's what I thought too. I might have misinterpreted it. I thought that, yeah. Come on, just let it be, Anthony. Just let it be. The witch thing. Um, So they put on a family play of Macbeth. Of Macbeth. (laughs) Which, do you remember when we were talking about how there are enough Bridgerton children amongst, like, all of the cousins and, like, all the offspring now that they probably would be doing these, like, fantastical stagings? And I just was so satisfied by that. But Macbeth? Yeah, but Macbeth. Macbeth is your choice? Especially when Henry VIII and the unicorn is right there. I don't remember what it was really called, but it was something like like that. It it just feels like a disservice to the Smythe Smiths. It just... Yeah. That was a a missed opportunity there. So the um, Anthony and Kate's son cast Kate as the first witch. And it's... I, I quite enjoyed... If you're going to do a boring play, like, that's... I'm I'm okay with that like little kind of dig or joke or whatever we want to call it. Like I wasn't mad at that. <laughs> but I do I do agree with you, Adele. Like especially if we're only mm. getting one little look. Why can't it be one mm. that I actually liked? <laughs> why can't she write something yeah. that I like? <laughs> I'm not above fan service, but I want it to be specifically <laughs> for me. oh god as in all things rudy you have to lower your expectations (laughs) oh all right are we out of what the featheringtons now yep all right it's time for what would damry do this is where we imagine that a character from another favorite book has written to the wise old dragon herself lady danbury to ask for advice this week, as is fitting, our letter comes from Ryu Mori, one of the heroes of the Enemies to Lovers sports romance, Goalie Interference by Avon Gale and Piper Vaughn. And I just want to put out there that I went specifically looking for Enemies to Lovers sports romance in order to tie it so neatly into the Paul Mall game. And I feel super smug and validated having found a really good one. Dear Lady Danbury, As the only experienced goalie of the Atlanta Venom, the starting goalie spot should have been mine. 
but the coaches have decided to place me on a tandem schedule with rookie Emmett Armstrong. Sure, he's got talent, but he's brash and bold and bratty, as likely to run his mouth off as he is to protect the goal. Now we're competing for the position of starting goalie of our team's Stanley Cup run, and I should be 100% focused on my career. But I can't keep my mind off his eyes and his body and his bratty, bratty mouth. And what I want to do to him doesn't have a thing to do with hockey. Can our love ever survive intense competition? Yes. <laughs> as the resident, uh, as the resident ice hockey subgenre trash bag, I say yes because everything is possible with ice hockey romance. <laughs> everything. I know you have such a thing for ice hockey romance. Look, I have such a hard time. Re- I re- I really enjoyed this book. It was really really well done. Um, but having grown up watching hockey and having like every boy that I knew play hockey and all of the realities of like actual hockey. I just, it, I, uh, I'm not saying my love of ice hockey romance is based on reality. It's based on the mighty ducks and Joshua <laughs> Jackson. And I, think- I don't know what it is. I just love ice hockey romance. If it's MM, FF, orgies, whatever, there needs to be a goalie and I don't know any of the other positions because I don't really (laughs) care that much, but I just, I just love me some ice hockey. Just love it. One of the difficult things of being, feeling like you are the experienced person who's been overlooked um, for someone who is like, who basically has less yeah has has less experience but is more vivacious or Mm. whatever right like I I don't do sports so I'm I don't know sport words but like (laughs) it is such a hit to the ego but sometimes you do have to kind of step back and think like what is the bigger picture and also like what am I missing about them and their skills and what am I not showing in my own like mm. I'm going with like actual like proper advice about how to how to navigate a situation like this <laughs> but also like once and because like I, I feel like once you find that like once you have figured out that space or like kind of identified that space maybe is the thing like then you can kind of evaluate whether your need slash want to kiss somebody is actually like something that is worth pursuing or whether you should put that aside for now because workplace romances are really (laughs) tricky to navigate sometimes there we go that's my advice for who is it for Ryu Ryu yeah um spoiler alert the need to kiss somebody eventually does win out that I'm shocked. That is shocking I know, to me. I know. I just, just in case, uh, I'm excited, we were... but I'm shocked. <laughs> in case we have any OHS people out there who are worried, <laughs> sorry. This was a really good one. And I feel like the conflict in it was really well done. Like it was legitimate conflict. And 
you can see them try play. Yeah. yeah, you can try them see them try to work through it, but yeah, oof. Well, and I think the thing that worked really nicely for this one is A, they're playing for the same team. And um <laughs> well played. They're both people of color. So I think like there was that it like that level of not, not the word about the first competition there is sort of that level of importance as well in recognizing that hockey being such a white sport that both of them so Ryu Mori is Japanese American and Emmett is African American both of them had to play hockey sort of on a level of representation that wasn't true of their other teammates as well so not only were they competing for starting goalie because they wanted to be the best athletes that they could be but also because they were recognizing that there were other kids out there who looked like them who needed to see that they too could succeed and that they too could follow Mm. their dreams thank you Ryu for writing in that's all for this episode of what would Danbury do We'll be back in a fortnight with an offer from a gentleman's second epilogue. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as at BridgertonPod or send us an email at BridgertonPod at gmail.com or write us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really love hearing from you. This episode was recorded on the traditional and unceded land of the Gadigal, Wurundjeri and Bunurong people and edited by audio producer Rudy Bremer, that's me, on Gadigal Country. Thanks for listening, and remember, WWDD. What Would Danbury Do is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.